Ladies and gentlemen, Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another special episode of Spectrum with Zaki Khalid. It's a pleasure to be joined by Mr. Umar Kareem, who is a visiting fellow at the UK-based Royal United Services Institute, RUSI, where he focuses on Pakistan's evolving political and security environment within its neighborhood. He is also a doctoral researcher at the Department of Political Science and International Studies at the University of Birmingham. His academic research focuses on Saudi Arabian foreign policy and politics, in particular, Saudi-Iran regional rivalry and the broader geopolitics of the Middle East. Uh, Mr. Romer, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. And thank you so much for inviting me. It's, uh, it's my pleasure to join this program. So before we uh, proceed into the specifics, if you can tell us very broadly, with the visit of Prime Minister Imran Khan to Saudi Arabia, do you think this latest engagement between both sides can translate into renewed strategic alignment between Riyadh and Islamabad? Or do you think that the scope of this partnership will remain limited in the foreseeable future? I think uh, this is a very positive development because uh, both sides, uh, the Saudi side and Pakistani side and their respective leaderships, they had not really communicated for more than a year. Uh, Prime Minister Imran Khan uh, specifically had no communication with the Saudi leadership uh, since uh, 2019, December, I think. Uh, General Bajwa, the army chief uh, of Pakistan, he had a trip to Saudi Arabia in last year, I think it was uh, in August or July. Uh, but even then, in that trip, he was uh, unable to meet uh, the Crown Prince, uh, Prince, Crown Prince Hamid bin Salman, who is, you can say, the de facto uh, voice uh, or de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia, and specifically uh, when it comes to Saudi foreign policy, he's the person uh, who control, uh, who is the major uh, person in control. So that was a big problem that uh, Pakistan and Saudi Arabia, they had a very uh, strong traditional relationship and uh, one which was a multifaceted uh, relationship, uh, including security, political and economic ties. So this sort of a disconnect between the two countries, it wasn't uh, really good uh, from any uh, point of view, but it was specifically not uh, good for Pakistan because uh, Pakistan uh, remains dependent upon Saudi Arabia uh, due to multiple factors, specifically in the economic domain, uh, Saudi foreign direct investment, as well as uh, the remittances which are sent by Pakistani expatriates who are working within Saudi Arabia. They play a large role in uh, pushing or at least stabilizing our economy in every uh, difficult time period. So that's why this, you can say, uh, gap, um, communication gap, uh, or you can say, um, trust gap that was really problematic and uh, this trip by Imran Khan and also by Chief of Army Staff General, uh, General Bajwa it shows that both sides are ready to talk with each other and uh, talk in a frank manner and the, the Saudi leadership uh, is definitely willing to uh, talk with 
Prime Minister Imran Khan, there was a sort of a misconception that uh, the Saudi leadership is not uh, now willing anymore to engage with Imran Khan. So that uh, misconception, uh, you can say, is uh, has been dispelled now. And also, it, it comes as a as quite a boost for Imran Khan for multiple reasons. Because you know, in the last year, there was a lot of commentary which was which which was basically not uh, really grounded in anything or any logic that uh, uh, the Saudi leadership they are providing support or some sort of backing to PMLN leadership uh, due to their traditional linkages with the Nawaz Sharif family. And uh, they probably would back them in order to oust Imran Khan. You can see as uh, the PDM movement also gathered some base. So all these things were linked up uh, to Saudi Arabia as well by prominent bloggers, uh, YouTubers, uh, and media persons, specifically pro-government media persons within Pakistan. And I think the most they can come with as sort of a, like evidence for that, or you can say uh, in support of this theory was some meet, a meeting of Hassan Iqbal with the former Saudi intelligence chief, uh, Prince Turki Al-Faisal in, in Riyadh. I mean, uh, I am a fellow at the King Faisal Center, and uh, I, I I can understand this is a, just a normal meeting. And Prince Turki is, I mean, he is a very respected person, but he definitely is not uh, very much into the park corridors. And also, the Saudis have so many issues of their own. Why why are why would they be interested in whatever is happening in Pakistan, or why would they be obsessed that? Pakistan is not uh, among top 10 of Saudi concerns or even top 20 of uh, Saudi concerns. Their concerns are quite diff different. So that's why all that, um, you can say, uh, that atmosphere uh, of uh, possible uh, Saudi inclination towards the opposition, that was quite, uh, uh, that didn't make much sense. And I think by this visit, uh, it is quite clear that uh, there was not any any such sort of thing. And uh, Prime Minister Imran Khan was uh, received at the highest level by the Saudi leadership. He was uh, uh, he, his tour had a lot of prestige. Speaking of prestige and the uh, warm welcome given by the hosts. After the Prime Minister's touchdown in Jeddah, uh, both sides decided to form a quote-unquote Supreme Coordination Council for improved coordination. Uh, the first question, uh, what exactly is this Coordination Council and was such a mechanism not in existence before this? Yeah, this is actually a very good question because uh, when the Crown Prince visited uh, Pakistan in 2018, he, sorry, 2019, uh, February, uh, they did create uh, a similar working body to coordinate uh, the relationship in a much more uh, institutionalized manner. So there can be uh, working. Uh, so, so the idea of the Supreme uh, Coordination Council was that uh, there can be a working body that can uh, help both sides uh, to uh, facilitate uh, their bilateral engagement 
in a more institutionalized manner and which doesn't really uh, need the special push from uh, the leadership itself so this was the idea of uh, the supreme coordination uh, council of course it involved uh, uh, this happened because there was special interest by the leaderships of uh, both sides and there was special chemistry between uh, uh, pakistani prime minister and the saudi crown prince but then because of certain events and uh, developments it didn't really work out so now what they did is that uh, basically uh, as uh, some commentators and specifically former saudi ambassador in pakistan um, dr ali siri he has also commented that both sides are going back towards the situation which was there at the time of crown prince's visit to pakistan so one thing was to create this supreme coordination council so what does this body what will it actually do or what its function uh, to be precise its function to be precise is that uh, ministerial level delegations or uh, policy makers from both sides they will sit together and then they will work out with each other what are the priorities uh, for each side in a specific sector and how can the other side help it in that uh, specific uh, sector so for instance uh, uh, pakistan has um, Pakistan has been pushing uh, Saudi Arabia to invest in uh, uh, in the oil and petrochemical sector, and there was a conversation about uh, an oil refinery being set up in 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 Gwadar. So, what can Absolutely. now happen under the auspices of uh, this coordination council is that uh, the Saudi um, Energy Ministry and similar uh, ministerial delegations or uh, officials from the pakistani side they can sit together and then the leadership basically will just okay whatever they come to conclude so it doesn't need to have uh, uh, you can say e uh, in, uh, inclusion of the leadership on each and every step uh, institutional mechanisms on both sides or institutional uh, uh, um, institutional partners from both sides they can sit together they can chart out a, a road map and then they can the leadership will just give a final you can say go ahead so this this was really part of this was really real function or you can say purpose of this body of course from pakistan side you can say that defense sector is also very important for saudi arabia yeah. and so now you can say that maybe the saudi defense ministry officials they can sit with the specific officials from pakistan and uh, general bajwa doesn't have to really go uh, now and then again and again to saudi arabia to uh, further clear out uh, the modalities so this is this is sort of you can say uh, a mechanism to streamline processes and to fast track uh, them but most importantly it shows that leaderships on both sides they understand that each uh, that uh, each other's uh, respective uh, strategic interests they they are fully you can say in a way in line with each other and uh, uh, they have trust uh, towards each other for going forward with all such ventures i mean again this is this is you can say this is what the theoretical uh, you can say the theoretically inclined function of uh, this body is uh, because 
it was formed before, but then it didn't work out because the leadership was not uh, on one page and there were differences within, specifically within the foreign policy domain. But now I think, because uh, we don't know what have, what has been um, the conversation between uh, specifically between the army chief and the Saudi crown prince. Uh, so what were some commitments or what were some, uh, you can say, uh, some of their concerns, how did Pakistani leadership manage to allay them or how uh, and what has the Saudi leadership uh, promised in, in return? We don't really know this. But uh, if this institutional mechanism has been revived, then, then it means that both sides are willing uh, to move forward uh, on all tracks or all partnerships that have been uh, discussed or explored before. You talked of economic cooperation and investments, and obviously, primarily defense, and then uh, economy figures in the Pak-Saudi bilateral relation. Uh, within this context, last month, two months ago, Business Today, a prominent newspaper, it reported, and I quote: "Even as the standoff between India and Saudi Arabia escalates, with the kingdom increasing the crude oil price for Asia and India." cutting imports on Gulf nation. The state-run Saudi Aramco's stake purchase plan in Reliance Limited is unaffected. Aramco is serious about partnering Reliance and the discussions are progressing as expected." Unquote. So obviously, there were some elements in the media that were trying to speculate that perhaps the uh, mega uh, deal between Reliance Limited of India and Saudi Aramco, the world's largest oil company, it would be uh, sent to the doldrums, but uh, uh, what is being reported right now is that that deal is going to progress. So when we talk about Pak-Saudi relations on one hand and then Pak-India relations on the other, do you think that Saudi Arabia is in a position to commit economically and financially to Pakistan as it is uh, toward India? I, I think it is very important that uh, from a Saudi perspective that we don't uh, really put India and Pakistan into the same box uh, anymore. So we as Pakistanis, we need to accept this reality that uh, India and Indian market has um, uh, is lucrative enough for anyone, not only Saudi Arabia, but any... And if I may, uh, if I may politely, uh, if I may politely uh, add over here that this question comes in the backdrop of the domestic discourse within the Pakistani public whose sentiments are actually, uh, they come into uh, a factor where they start to doubt Saudi commitment toward Pakistan. That element of trying to equ uh, create equivalence between uh, th their investments in India and Pakistan exists. Yeah, absolutely, I, I fully agree. If, like, if Pakistan had uh, the same industrial infrastructure and uh, you can say uh, a very uh, even a reasonable production, uh, uh, industrial production hubs, then Saudi Arabia would have been committing uh, to Pakistan, um, if not in the same manner, uh, but uh, reasonably as well and much before. But because uh, industry in Pakistan has uh, lagged behind, uh, if we compare it uh, with India to a considerable degree, so uh, we are much more, you can say, uh, our situation vis-a-vis -vis Saudi Arabia uh, 
as compared to india is not uh, is not definitely the same for india uh, just to start with there is a market of more than 1 billion people so and as we see that now uh, oil economy or oil based economies they will be facing trouble in the next 20 years already the prices are not very high and not uh, the break even uh, level uh, as saudi arabia would have needed so now Absolutely. a new theory is which is emerging is that uh, all the big oil producers they are just going for market share so they can sell as much as oil they can for the you can say the last 10 or 20 years of this oil age which which are left and uh, obviously for this very reason india and china would be the biggest uh, market so they need to be uh, present there structurally in one form or another so not so they are not uh, just sellers uh, of petrochemicals to these two markets but they are also structurally and strategically embedded within these two markets and i think if uh, Uh, the aramco and reliance uh, corporation is viewed from this perspective it makes uh, perfect perfect sense perfect business sense um, from pakistani perspective i think we need to see what uh, pakistan and saudi arabia are doing in a manner that is favorable for pakistan just just forget about india for a moment and we need to see it's always good for pakistan if pakistan is getting some foreign direct investment from saudi arabia in one sector or another sector or another sector and let's not just compare it with uh, with india because uh, after all we had uh, like a year or so of a really bad uh, dip in the relationship so if th- that thing has recovered and uh, the saudi side are still willing to commit something like uh, for uh, something big then it's 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 good for pakistan because they nobody would uh, ignore india right now for the sake of its uh, huge uh, market uh, but Indeed. for pakistan i mean uh, we already know uh, most of the fdi it's coming from china none of uh, the western powers they are really because of different reasons they are really interested uh, within pakistan so any such and, and so we know that other than saudi arabia there are not m- many such actors with big pockets or deep pockets who can uh, who are willing or ready to invest uh, uh, i think this is the right use of deep pockets here uh, rather than what was used uh, before so for us uh, in the current situation i think we should Uh, try to approach all this in a positive manner and we we need to stop uh, comparing ourselves with india because there are multiple issues when we compare ourselves with india not uh, essentially negative but also because pakistan has uh, a very different strength as compared to india india if india has strength india has also uh, some other uh, you can say structural problems and structural issues uh which which uh, do create uh, hurdles for foreign uh, investors for, for example this Re- reliance uh, refinery it was supposed to be built in maharashtra i think and since uh, the relationship between the state government and the central government is not really very good so already there have been some delays and uh, a lot of political issues with that deal as well because reliance uh, in a way has become uh, a business front of uh, uh, the indian government of bjp 
so all these issues they are they are also there in in pakistan you can say that some of the um, projects they can be kick kick started much more uh, you can say in a much more fast manner if uh, there is will on the pakistani side they can say just okay this is your land we have allocated it nobody would be uh, doing anything uh, to stop you from coming over here and putting your money there just come and and do it so we we shouldn't actually be comparing both uh, cases and uh, it's it's simple market economics which uh, gives us a better explanation but i also think that uh, on a broader level india is you can say having its uh, the what pakistan had it uh, had in 80s that moment india is having it now because of uh, uh, the chinese rise and uh, because of uh, indians uh, india being a lucrative strategic partner that can be uh, used by us but also other western powers to challenge uh, this chinese rise just as pakistan became so india has become you can say in a way a frontline state in this new cold war between the us and and, and china which obviously pakistan uh, was in the 1980s in that uh, cold war between us and soviet union so this is this is only natural for india to 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 take these advantages but this it doesn't mean that pakistan uh, has nothing uh, in its pocket pakistan has also a lot of different uh, geostrategic advantages so for us what is most important is how to Uh, exploit them to maximum without uh, doing silly mistakes and uh, speaking of trade and economics you see that uh, if we subtract uh, india from this uh, discussion once again and focus only on pak saudi bilateral relations the prime minister has been repeatedly championing the cause of economic diplomacy even our former uh, advisor to the pm national security who's now the nsa himself Dr. Mohid Yusuf, uh, he mentioned that economic diplomacy will be the pivotal point around which Pakistan will conduct its foreign policy. Trade, economy, energy—these are all good buzzwords uh, that were also mentioned in the joint communique with Saudi Arabia. But there are two things that merit attention if we take a step back. First is that the recent appointment of a retired senior military officer as uh, envoy to Saudi Arabia, number one. and the second is that uh, the statement issued by both sides reaffirmed pakistan's support for the quote unquote sovereignty and territorial integrity of saudi arabia now keeping these two things in perspective there are some tendencies to speculate that perhaps uh, any renewed commitments will definitely be on uh, purportedly be related to the security or uh, defense front and that is again going to be the guiding factor what do you make out of all this again a very good question i i think uh, one problem uh, of the recent uh, if you i mean this would become a bit lengthy but i would say that uh, uh, states in the broader middle east uh, since the um, arab spring protests or since the change of leaderships particularly in in saudi arabia they have been going a shift in their uh, state identity in a in a manner you can say and uh, other than i think uh, right now in uh, abu dhabi or uh, dubai there 
most of the leaderships they are all new they they are all uh, they, so they are not from the traditional uh, uh, elites or the traditional old uh, uh, family hierarchy so this is also same in saudi arabia there is a new leadership which thinks that uh, we need to engage with each and every partner uh, in a manner which is which through which we can accrue most uh, benefits uh so it's more sort of a uh you can say what we will do this for you but what can you do for us and if you are not doing that for us then uh, you cannot simply expect us to do all the same for you just in the name of islamic ummah or uh, islamic solidarity or something like that like if we expect saudi arabia to uh, stand with us against um, india or uh, indian actions particularly in kashmir then saudi arabia has a valid uh, expectation from our side to stand uh, with them on controversial issues uh, regarding iran and uh, particularly also in case of uh, yemen and whatever happens within yemen so because we all now more or less have been projecting a neutral line on all of these issues so there is i think a tendency that we shouldn't uh, really expect uh, uh, something similar uh, we should expect something similar in return from saudi arabia so in that relationship of both sides uh, traditionally the saudi side was um, uh, injecting pakistan with a lot of uh, foreign aid and also oil facilities in different uh, time periods specifically after um, the nuclear explosions of pakistan saudi arabia did the same and then um, afterwards in musharraf time and then uh, not in the ppp time but also in the pmln government time what was pakistan uh, giving in return Pakistan uh, was uh, training Saudi forces Pakistan was uh, deploying uh, troops in Saudi Arabia uh, from time to time but the troop deployment was not very heavy uh, in the 1990s and 2000 um, onward the real problem for, for Saudi security started when they entered into the Yemen war and uh, things uh, started escalating in a manner that they had not imagined and uh, clearly we can say that the military intervention planned by saudi arabia didn't go as uh, it didn't go as they had planned and it actually uh, became uh, quite worse for them due to the repeated houthi drone and missile attacks uh, which happen all across uh, southern two you can say eastern saudi arabia from time to time in resulting even in uh, loss of lives etc so what pakistan you can say at this moment uh, when saudi arabia decided to you can say su- support pakistan with a 6 billion dollar aid package pakistan have uh, given something significant in return on this security uh, situation or this secure this security uh front but pakistani uh deployments within saudi arabia they are not of strategic nature they don't really add up to any sort of uh, saudi security uh, vis-a-vis yemen uh, so in a manner there are soldiers there and there is a considerable number of soldiers there probably still the pakistani soldiers which are in saudi arabia they are the largest uh, contingent of any foreign uh, force within saudi arabia but they are yeah. in 
different uh, positions in different ministries as maybe uh, data as maybe uh, uh, inducting data or doing regular office jobs or something like this but their positioning and their uh, uh, presence in Saudi Arabia is not of uh, strategic nature maybe i mean again this is not uh, verified from any source open or uh, uh, private one that uh, if these forces are uh, providing special security to the um, saudi crown prince uh, on a or they are acting as personal bodyguard for him but i i don't think so even that is happening because uh, the egyptians have uh, a broader role now and also uh, uh, people from uh, what's uh, that um, firm black uh, uh, sorry I'm forgetting that name uh, what they have Blackwater exactly so there have been rumors that they were also hired so if that has been the case then we don't see any Pakistani troop presence in any critical areas so that means that uh, those troops they are in Saudi Arabia and they may be in smaller uh, they may be contributing towards saudi defense uh, but in a very insignificant manner not where they can really tip the balance uh, or not where their presence can really send a clear message uh, across the, the persian gulf so because of this uh, i think that uh, the fundamental nature of the relationship has changed because the saudi side thinks that okay we uh, support them economically and uh, there are roughly 2 million expect Pakistani expatriates who are also working here uh, but what do we get uh, in return uh, Pakistani is not producing anything substantial which can be exported to Saudi Arabia which can be classified as uh, a critical substance or as a critical um, utility so there is essentially a one-way traffic i mean of course saudi arabia would not want pakistan to be uh, in the iranian camp uh, for obvious reasons but uh, there is no strategic parity between uh, the two sides and i think that's the main problem here indeed well uh, mr umar kareem it has been a pleasure to talk to you thank you for these very resourceful insights and i look forward to hosting you in future programs as well thank you very much assalamu alaikum Thank you so much. Supply.